I'm Claire. And I'm Natalie. And we are a licensed psychologist and licensed school psychologist and a pediatric occupational therapist. And we are here to talk to you about stories of kids and adolescents who have maybe some struggles with development or disabilities, and also the parents and the caregivers and the teachers and the therapists who love them and work with them. We've divided this podcast up into two parts. So the first part is focused more on stories and experiences that we have and that parents have shared with us about their child um, with special needs. And then the second part, we delve into more details about those experiences and what we would do with them clinically if you want some more information on that. Yep. I think that's it. Goodbye. The following message is brought to you by our lawyers. A Little Cerebral is a podcast documenting a conversation between a psychologist and a pediatric occupational therapist. This is intended as a conversation between two colleagues. We are not providing legal, medical, educational, or any other advice, recommendations, or treatments through this podcast. Hi, welcome to our very first podcast. My name is Claire. I'm a licensed psychologist and a licensed school psychologist, and I'm sitting next to... I'm Natalie, and I'm a pediatric occupational therapist, and I work with children with developmental disabilities. Okay, so this is our first podcast, and it might be a little rusty, but we're going to try to go through the format that we discussed on our Google Docs (laughs) here in our studios. (laughs) This is a very formal studio. Very formal studio. We'd be very impressed. Yeah, we have like really super high-tech equipment that Mm. we absolutely know 100% how to use. We have no problems at all. We have a butler actually who brings us snacks when we get hungry. Yeah, right. And also an audio-visual team. (laughs) And unfortunately, they couldn't be here today. So we had to set it up ourselves, which wasn't a problem because we totally know how to do this. It was Mm -hmm. really no problem at all. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So the point of this podcast is for us to reach out to parents who have children with special needs or, or even just children who have different needs and the parents are not sure if their child has a special need or, you know, special needs is obviously a big spectrum too. Yeah. And um, we're trying to create a community here where parents feel heard and break down some of that isolation that I think a lot of parents who have children with different needs can feel, um, not only in their homes, but when they're going to school, when they're out in their community. There's a lot of things that can go on that I think can be misunderstood, misrepresented, or misinterpreted by the public. Yeah, and I think, and I even think of that as happening like when you're having a conversation with someone. Like I just, is it okay if I go into personal stuff? I think so. Okay. So I'm a parent of two kids. This is Claire. I'm a parent of two kids with disabilities. So my oldest one, um, I won't go into all his, his stuff right now at least, but learning disabilities and ADHD and then some other things that I won't go into. And then um, my youngest one is really complex. He is so complex. And um, he definitely has sensory processing disorder and he's made huge gains, but we're still working on it. Um, He has expressive and receptive language disabilities. And I know there's some people right now who are probably like, autism, it's autism. Well, he he doesn't have autism. He's got great social communication abilities um, and is very, um, I guess, I actually work a lot with kids who have autism. And at first, 
yes, I thought maybe, especially because of some of the attachment stuff, but it's, it's not autism. Um, it's really just that he's complex. He, both of my kids are adopted and he, what age are they Claire? Oh yeah. So my youngest is nine and we adopted him at age 19 months and he had, um, delays even in South Korea and he didn't have prenatal care and there were some genetic predispositions, you know, maybe for some intellectual things going on. Um, And he just, he truly struggles with like, I, all these building blocks of like, like even just the idea at his most recent IEP, um, the speech therapist who I love, she's so just aware of him said, I don't think he can take the idea of what he hears and make that into like a meaningful picture in his brain. And I had never thought of that, but it's so true because that's why he does not like audiobooks. He is like not at all interested in audiobooks. My oldest one loves audiobooks. And he doesn't really like to listen to stories unless it also has pictures. Like even if I'm reading it to him. Um, she recently pointed out that he she's not sure he knows the difference between a question and a statement. I was like, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've actually just been going back and working on some of those capacities. Um, so he's, he's very, very, I would say complex. And, you know, as a psychologist who works a lot with kids with disabilities, part of it is I'm his mom and I'm biased and I just, I can't really see the picture, like the big picture the way maybe other people could see. But I, I just can't wrap my head around, you know, maybe what's going on with him, but I know that we're treating each of these things sort of individually. He would probably benefit from a neuropsych eval at some point. We're kind of putting our money into other things that I think will make more of a difference. I think will be still targeted, but will make more of a difference from a pragmatic point of view since we have to kind of choose, like, where do we put our money? And I think a lot of people have to do that. But anyway, going back to what I was saying is... um, Can you talk about your eldest, too? Yeah, my oldest... um, So did I mention she has ADHD Mm -hmm. and learning disabilities? He is complex, just in other ways. Um, He has a history of trauma. And so, you know, when kids hit adolescence, sometimes certain um, hormones that are coming online, they can trigger the release of, and I don't know that it's like the release of, but like maybe this is stuff that I used to know. (laughs) And I'm probably going to get it, like I'm going to get a little bit wrong. It'll come back. Yeah, but more or less it affects, um, it affects the neurotransmitters, right? Um, And so, yeah, and so so it's not just hormones, it's also like, those neurotransmitters and then also there's like sort of just the behavioral norms that he's observing and things that you start to think about as you are like doing what's developmentally appropriate which is thinking about your identity and who you are and where you come from and he's also adopted um he's from ethiopia so he was adopted at age three and my youngest was adopted at age 19 months so you know they have histories they have histories before me it's a long time it is a long time it's huge um, and then, of course, attachment comes into play with both of them. Yeah, and right. And so it, sometimes it feels like whack-a-mole. Like it's like, oh, I got this one figured out. And then, like, the next one pops up, and it's like I have to do – I have to figure out, like, what to do with this kid now. And then – or sometimes there will be, like, something that might normally get my attention, but because the other kid at that moment is having bigger issues, like, that's the thing I have to focus on because I only have um, a certain amount of, like, mental bandwidth yeah, right. So, um, yeah, oh, so I mean, sorry. I think that one of the points is that we both have children with 
with differences. And, yeah. and I can talk about my yeah. story too. Um, I have two younger children. One just turned three and one just turned one. Um, and they have more of like the invisible disabilities. Um, and, you know, even just saying that, I don't think family members would agree that they have a disability. And they don't in some aspects, but they do in others. So my oldest, who just turned three, um, you know, he had um, kind of a traumatic birth and I didn't feel attached to him till maybe like four months in. Um, and there were some breastfeeding issues. There's some other feeding issues. And I did have his tongue tie checked. It went undiagnosed um, for quite a long time. So when he was two and a half, I finally, um, he was, I started him in occupational therapy. So he was working on more motor skills. He had the tongue tie release. Um, but the reason I ended up putting him into occupational therapy was, well, I have like a lot of occupational therapy buddies. So it was <laughs> kind of easy to be like, hey, you need to work with my kid. Because um, it's, again, really hard, like Claire said, to be a mom and a therapist. Like there's a lot of things that if I had been treating my son from an early age, I'd be like, oh, yeah, do this, this, and this. As a mom, I look at him and literally no ideas come to my head. I'm just like blank slate. It's so interesting. Like it's I can't so think hard. of one thing to do. So <clears throat> anyways, when um, the reason why I got him into occupational therapy is he has these big, big emotions. And, and it looks like a dysregulation, but it's not an obvious dysregulation. Like he's not necessarily melting down in parking lots and in the grocery store and all the time, but he has big trouble with transition, separation anxiety, just sort of like overall anxiety, fears about trying new things, trying movement. So he fits in, he's fine, like he goes to a little preschool and he's, you know, the most pleasant kid. But, you know, when he comes home from preschool midday, he has these huge meltdowns and it would take two hours to put him to bed. Um, We struggled to put him to bed in general. He didn't sleep through the night till he was maybe two. So just these little things where in isolation they're fine, even put together it's fine, but I could tell that something was sort of up. Um, And it turns out that he has um, some reflexes that aren't integrated. So basically starting from the beginning and integrating those has really helped. Um, What's interesting, and I'll go into this story today, is that as we integrate reflexes for him, he has these huge emotional responses to them. So once we start integrating one, it's like two weeks of just, I'm like, oh my God, what is going on? So I don't know if anybody else can relate. I'm sure Me? That some parents can, but it's <laughs> just like so hard. Um, and then my youngest is just turned one. He had a lip tie and tongue tie. Um, so again, just with nursing issues, very subtle. Uh, he had really tight hips that also went sort of undiagnosed for a while. Um, So now his left foot is turned out. So we've been working on, so again, it's like, you know, people watch him crawl and they're like, oh, he looks fine, he's fine, he's fine. I look at his crawling and I'm like, that is so weird. And it's not like he's scooting, he doesn't have a foot up. It's, It's a crawl, but his feet are up and his left foot is turned out. So anyways, again, going back to Kind of being an an occupational therapist, I was like, I think this kid needs some help. So working more on on doing a lot of body work and getting him to crawl and loosening up his hips. So it's very subtle. And I think for both the kids without early intervention come age like seven, eight, they would probably have some more academic struggles just based on these early experiences. 
Yeah, I like that's I had no idea. Number yeah, one. no, it's like it's in and talking about it, it seems like a lot. But when like you meet my kids or you talk to my husband or you talk to any family, like there's no reason to talk about it because also nobody really thinks it's as big of a deal as me because I know how development like fast forwarding, you know, maybe five or seven years, what that can look like. And trying to kind of prevent the struggles when they're just like little struggles instead of when it sort of snowballs. It's like this double-edged sword, I think, when you're a parent and you're a professional because it's like you know your kid needs help and you know how to get them the help, right? But then the other edge of that sword is like the mom guilt or I guess like the parent guilt, I should say. It's so huge because you feel like I should know what to do. How come I don't know how what to do? And then it also, I feel like for me at least, affects my sense of not just like, am I a good enough mom, but am I a good enough professional? Like, if I if I can't figure this out for my yeah, own right. kid, like, what business do I have like helping other kids and families? Right. It's so hard. I, I do the same thing where one day I wake up and I'm like, I'm amazing. I got this. Yeah. And then my child has this huge meltdown and I'm just like sitting there and I have no idea what to do. And I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm doing with my life and I should probably just switch careers because I've done that too. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so anyways, I think that's um, a pretty good background of of both Claire and I and our situations. So we're going to pull from some stories about our children. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so why don't we do that now? I'll just okay. choose um, a story from my eldest son. And again, these are all kind of like subtle things, but it's it can be really intense in the moment. Um, so last night this actually happened where... I'll back up. So on Monday, we started integrating one of these fear reflexes, essentially. And after that, his fear itself increases. So he starts to get scared of, if I leave the room, he'll panic and he'll start crying. Um, He always wants to know where I am. He gets fearful of movement. So like the swing he really likes to go on, he won't go on it. Like, or I need to hold his hand. So everything sort of shifts. Not for the better. It's it's bad. It's, like, really bad. And going to bed is really hard. He's been sleeping with three lights on. Um, like, I have to shut our bedroom door because it's so bright. It's like having a flashlight like, right from his room into our room. So, and it's been taking him a really long time to go to bed. Um, needs me there for a long time and then cries basically himself to sleep. And he wasn't doing this. He used to do this and then we worked on it. And now we started integrating this fear reflex and he's doing it again. So last night was pretty much the worst that it's been since we started this reflex integration on Monday. Um, He wouldn't go to bed, wanted me there, was crying, didn't want me to leave, had all the lights on. Uh, About 12 o'clock, he woke up screaming. um, And you can tell that he's dysregulated because his ears turn red, he's sweating. Um, I don't ever see his pupils like really dilate, but it's obvious to me that he's something is really scary and he's very fearful. So he woke up and I wasn't there and he just had this like complete panic attack and wanted to get out of bed and wanted to get up and didn't want to be in bed and sort of like the whole nine yards. And we have, you know, my other son who sleeps across the hall. So that's also very anxiety provoking for me. So I have like fans going and I'm like shutting doors and I'm like, don't wake up your brother kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But (laughs) at the same time, like I could, you know, I could talk until the cows come home, but it really doesn't matter. No, I was going to say it does not matter. Yeah. I'm like, shh, your brother's sleeping. Like he really 
could care less. So, um, you know, this goes on for maybe an hour. I finally calm him down. Um, he does sleep with a 20-pound weighted blanket that was supposed to be mine, but oh he God. sleeps with it. And so I can't say if it's like really helped or not really helped. He just does it. And I felt like that's fine since you're more prone to anxiety. You can just sleep with it. So I tuck him in there. He finally calms down and I go back to sleep. But that's an example of a child who kind of suffers from like sort of this overall anxiety, overall fear, and it can kind of pop up depending on the situation, depending on what his brain is going through. And, you know, if I explained it to someone said, oh, how did your child sleep last night? I'd be like, oh, he was fine. You know, he woke up in the middle of the night and then went back to sleep. Like, no big deal. But because I can't really get into it with a lot of people because they might, I feel like they might think I'm exaggerating. I'm making oh, a bigger deal of it. I hate that. Or, you know, I've had the comment from family members like, do you think you're projecting your profession on your child? Maybe, but I don't think so because I have, I'm always looking for things. Yes, I'm looking for things. But so that's, that was my last night um, experience that I I, wanted to share. Can I say something? Yeah. Like a couple things. So the first thing I'm thinking of is we, if we went with like traditional approaches, it would be like, okay, well put your son in therapy. He's really anxious or let's try the sleep it out approach. And it's like, that's, that's not going to help. Like, or it might help a tiny bit. It's not going to be enough. Out? Like, sorry. Um, cry it out approach? Is, what did I say? You said sleep it out. Cry it out. Sounds amazing. <laughs> I was like, wow, tell me about that approach. I would love <laughs> to sleep it out. I meant cry it out. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, like, you know, I think sometimes people think therapy is like this magic wand. Like, put them in therapy. Therapy is like this magical thing that I don't know actually how it works, but it does something and it'll change your child and they won't be anxious. And it's like, that's not, I mean, like therapy kind it works sometimes, it will works most of the time if the person is knowledgeable and if they know enough about what they know and what they don't know and about a particular child. But I think, and I can even think of like mental health professionals that I know who might say, well, we're going to try this or we're going to try play therapy. And it's like, that's that's great and maybe that can help them deal with like the sort of like almost like the secondary anxiety yeah Yeah, the secondary anxiety with like the going to sleep like but I I just think it's not enough because that that it's so it's so in his brain it is so in his brain that I couldn't talk to him um I couldn't touch him um, like his piggy toes hurt for some reason. So I had to hold them for a long time, which is just like a super weird body part to hurt. Um, his piggy toes? His piggy toes. Oh, he was horrible. like, my piggy toes hurt. So he was screaming <laughs> about his piggy toes. Um, but you know, the point being like, that's not really the issue. Like he no. was like sweating, shaking, red, ears red, like woke up, was, had this fear response. And for a traditional therapy point of view, if I'm going to talk to him, he's not in a place. His brain is in a place where it's processing information efficiently yes. enough to receive that exactly. and take it in. He's also young. Uh-huh. Um, but even if I was going to put him into play therapy, I think that might help him come up with some strategies to cope with his big emotions. But again, in a situation like that where it's just a fear response, like that is not going to help. No, it's not. And in fact, like if he went to therapy, he would be able to probably – how old is he? Just turn three. Just turn three. So maybe not. Um, he probably, he could maybe do a, like some talking about it, but not in a way that an older kid, like right. even like a five or six year old could do. The thing do. he probably took away from that situation is that his piggy toes hurt. 
because sometimes when he's fearful and then later on I'm like, why did you wake up or what? He'll be like, um, I wanted some water. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not what you wanted. Or like, I'm sure if I asked him today, he'd be like, my pinky toes hurt. So I woke up, which is also like not true. Right. So he can't, I just reason can't through things. He's right. Like he doesn't know. Lonely. And also yeah. when you're that fearful, you don't know why. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and I, I'm, I'm thinking like when you, like, let's say you were in a therapy session, like, so by therapy, I mean counseling, like a counseling session in the room and you're doing play therapy and, you know, the play therapist is asking you questions or even if it's like not true play therapy, but you're talking through it and you're there too. And, you know, there's some play involved or drawing or whatever in that moment, he's regulated. Yeah. Right. And so he's not, and he, and, and kids memories, their, their ability to articulate like their memory or like time or, you know, in an accurate way, it's just, it's not, um, it's not very adept at that age. And I would say, so like that affects how they're going to take away what they're getting from that session. And I would also say, um, there's a lot that they probably don't remember from what was happening in that moment when his piggy toes hurt and then he's in therapy. And so it's kind of limited. Like, yeah, you could have some strategies, but if you can't, if you can't access, you know, and, and like sort of, if you're not accessing the cortex, which is like a very broad, I mean, of course you're accessing the cortex, but not in a way that you would do if you're regulated, right? Yeah, right. It's and just not, a, it's not functional. Right. And if you can't process information. And I would even argue that your processing stops at the brainstem. So I think that you're, there's a processing difficulty at the brainstem. It's getting caught in this like fear cycle and you're really, you're not thinking. And mm-hmm. it, everybody's experienced this. It's like you go through something really scary and then you try to look back and you can't really quite remember the details. You're like, I don't really know what I did. Or if your child's hurt and you go run to them, it's like that's sort of a blur. Like you're not thinking through it and like analyzing the situation. You're just doing. And some of that has to do with how we process, like how we store memories and take take in short-term memories. like mm. with, um, like Or how the hippocampus is taking information and then turning it into long-term memory. Some of it has to do with that as well. But I mean... And that's sort of like, I guess my, my basic point is just that I, I think it would be helpful, but it wouldn't be enough. And then you wouldn't be addressing these skill deficits that are like so much lower level and if not addressed are going to continue to manifest themselves in different ways. And, and what will happen is it's like, oh, well, they grew out of it. Well, did they or did they become a better internalizer? Right, exactly. And then, you know, I've heard stories too of, of kids who have issues grow up and then are going to college, and then they have some serious issues in college with anxiety and being unable to multitask because those basic foundations of processing were never addressed. And then what happens is you get so many compensatory strategies on top of that that, you know, it just eventually something's got to give and it just doesn't work. So Yeah, and, and no amount of incentives are going to like the best behavioral chart and like sticker system and incentives and all like all of that. That's not going to work if you can't do the thing you're asked to do. The whole idea of an incentive is that it's a motivator for you to do something you can do. And if you can't yeah, do that right, thing, exactly. yeah, I mean like you could, you could try to do some of that. And I know we had um, a mutual child we worked with several years ago who had some trouble with sleep and that child tended to do pretty, he had, both OT and worked with me and incentives tended to work pretty well with that child, but that child, everything you're saying sounds like that was different things were going on with Mm -hmm. that child versus 
your son. Yeah, I don't think that that child had necessarily like a fear response where he's dysregulated. Yeah, that was I think it was stuff. more behavioral, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I think that what we should do is maybe wrap up here. Oh, yeah. And then next time, oh. why don't you talk about your sure. experience with your son? Can I talk about one more thing? Can yeah. I say one more thing? Because this is another thing that was coming to my mind is like, so, um, and I, I think I've talked to you about this. Like if you, if you go back and, and so, you know, 20, 25 years, I don't remember how many years ago when I was in undergrad and then. Yeah, <laughs> it's like probably 20, like 10. Like, no. <laughs> so 20 years ago when I was um, in grad school, just under 20 years ago when I was in grad school for the first time with my, my master's before I did my PhD, I, I mean like. You know, that was more of a clinical program. And you learn about things like temperament and personalities. And there's this whole idea of like temperament. And this is kind of like if you take a psych, not, not psych 101, but more of like a developmental, like a basic developmental psychology course, you'll hear about temperament and you'll hear about these kids with difficult temperament. And there were these researchers, um, Thomas and Chess, and um, actually the woman was always second author, but she was actually the primary investigator, but she was a woman. And this is like, I know. Seriously. Whole other sidebar. But like, yeah, not fair. And um, they did a lot of stuff on like temperaments, you know, and I remember going back and I was reading this book called Becoming Attached, which is amazing. And it's very accessible, even if you're not a person who works within the field or either of our fields. And um, you can buy it like sort of wherever. Anyway, it, um, they talk about Thomas and Chess. And so I was rereading some of that as, you know, like post my second grad school, so post PhD, and I was reading this. And also during the time that um, you were treating my youngest. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember thinking, oh my God, like I wonder how many of these kids had sensory processing disorder. Right. Or like you're talking about integration with reflex, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many of those kids had that going on and they were difficult, difficult, like they were like basically kind of a pain in the butt kid? Yeah. And I mean, like if kids can't do something, then they're going to have behaviors to show. Yeah. Them. If they can do things, I mean, the same thing goes. But when you have like, quote unquote, good behavior or you're compliant, it's because you can do something. And then, you know, this goes right along with my son. Like the first OT session, the OT asked him to walk on his toes and he was unable to do it or he thought he couldn't do it. And I could already see at age two his confidence decreasing in his skills. And so he said no and then he had this big meltdown. And if he could walk on his toes and it was easy for him, he would just do it. Like kids would just do it. Like they love showing Yeah, off. right. Yeah, so it's... It's not something that we, I think you can address from like, well, he's just a bad character. He's choosing to be bad. That's never, ever, ever the case. Ever. Yeah. I mean, Double it, exclamation point. Yes. Triple. And it doesn't mean, though, like I want to be clear like when, because I know sometimes I'll, I'll read stuff and I'll be like, listen, I know that's true, but it feels like you're blaming me as a parent for getting kind of mad about this stuff, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not what you're saying, but I'll like read stuff and I'm like, like, have you actually been through what it's like to be a right. parent of a kid yeah. who, like, quote unquote, has a difficult temperament? Even though, right. really, like, we know it's it's right. really like the sensory stuff. I'll show you difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, so like, I I just think, like these these they um they would talk about this goodness of fit between the parent and the child, and so there were like these parents who could like be super chill and respond to the kid, and then there were parents who couldn't, and I felt like. There is a lot, I mean, so to me what seemed like what was implied is that um, it was like blaming the parent, right? Yeah. But then there's also this piece of, 
But what if that parent also had problems with yeah. sensory stuff and integrating reflexes? And, and then, I think we see this a lot. Like parents are very anxious and yeah. either it manifests from the child. Like I know with my son waking up every you know, two hours for the first so many months of his life, like I almost had like a PTSD reaction to crying mm-hmm. after that where I was a lot more anxious putting him to bed. I was more anxious like in my sleep, like any little sound I would just startle awake. So I think it, it can kind of cycle back, like whether you're more predisposed as a parent to being anxious or you have a child who is then yeah. anxious. And, you know, like a, a child who is in the mom, in utero, and the mom has higher levels of adrenaline and cortisol. And those right. those neurochemicals, the baby's developing brain is exposed to that. And so I think there is something to be said for what the mother is going through, even in pregnancy, and how that impacts the child in terms of, like, kind of how they come out in terms of their quote-unquote temperament. Right. Yeah. yeah, there's that. It's just so complex. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I just think that we, like, need to be empathetic and caring to parents of children who have, like, a hard time with sensory stuff and with integrating reflexes and also also just, like, here are the facts. Here's how you can be educated about this. And, like, this sounds hard for you. How do we get you both help? Because parents need help, too, and they yeah, need right. self-care, too. So um, I think that's all I had. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, so next time Claire will go through a story with her about her son yeah. and share with us. And then we'll go through a little bit more of, um, the format, which is really going to be, we share, we share a story, we talk about it. Um, and then in a second episode, we kind of analyze what's going on from a more clinical point of view. But really the point is to share, is to share stories about, about children, um, mm-hmm. who have different needs and what that experience is like so that other parents feel again, like they're heard and that they're part of more of a community okay so. great awesome thanks we'll see you next time or hear you next time or you'll hear us next time <laughs> <laughs>